Hello, and welcome to the Catholic Duluth Show. The Catholic Duluth Show is a parish community podcast serving the parishes of St. Lawrence, Holy Family, and St. Joseph in Duluth, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Dan Rhoda, and with me today I have Deacon John Foucault. Good morning. How are you doing, Deacon John? I'm doing very well. It's nice to be with you again today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for thank you for joining. I think you've been on the podcast once before. I yes, believe. I have. Yep, yep. So yeah, it's 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 good to have you back. Thank you. Um, I'm sure I'll, a lot of these people listening know Deacon John, but Deacon John's been with us for two years as of last week. Yeah, July fifteenth. Right? Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, Deacon John is a is a great asset to our team. Uh, the he uh, he's a doer, a driver. Get it done kind of guy. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, what they say. Yeah. Which which is good because we don't have very many of those people on, on the staff. We have a lot of a lot of thinkers, a lot of you know mulling overers. Yep. But not a lot of let's just do it. Yeah, so we, we like to talk about it, but then we need to make a decision and let's get it done, right? Yeah, right. yeah. So so uh, so Deacon John is our doer. He he pushes us to get things done, um, which is good because I, I I know I I like to overthink things a lot. And really, like, make things super complicated in my head. So it's nice to just, like, simplify things. Like, you know what? Let's do it. Well, any and board I've ever been on, any group I've ever been involved in, any leadership training, uh, we usually do a profile in the first 30 minutes. And I always get labeled as the just do it guy. Yeah. So it's, it's not uncommon for me in my career to, to be labeled as that. And I'm okay with it. Yeah, yeah, it's you know it's it's great. We're we're super thankful and very blessed to, <laughs> to have you with us. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and that, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about a little bit today is uh, your just do itness. Um, did, uh, you started a company. I did. And uh, kind of we're 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 kind of really in the the CEO business world for a long time, pr- pr- pretty much your whole career, right? Uh, I had nine years at Maurice's as a uh, programmer in the IT area, programmer analyst it's called. I was the computer guy that did the coding for uh, the programs that ran stuff. And then in 1994, I started my own software company and then I had it for 20, almost 25 years exact to the day before I uh, uh, was bought out and st- I sold. Okay, yeah, yeah, so. so it's like pretty much a career, yeah. Yeah, and so you, know, you, you have a lot of experience in the work world. And I mean, most of the people who, you know, listen to this. Most people in the world, like, are in the more like public sector work world. That's where a lot of uh, jobs are and where a lot of things happen. Um, where, like, for me, like, it's hard for me to talk about that because I have, I don't have a lot of experience in the public sector. I yeah. think I worked, I've worked in a like out of college, not in um, a ministry job for like four months, and I was like waited until I started my ministry job. Yeah, <laughs> so, and it is it's different, like you said, when you're working in the the uh, private sector or the non-religious sector. Um, and I'm excited to talk about this and how you deal with uh, your Christian life, your Catholic life, and the working environment, especially as a leader as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Well, um, you know, normally we do some sort of like announcements, but the only real announcements is that nothing's happening. It's pretty quiet <laughs> it's right uh, now, end of July. Yeah, it's quiet. Uh, Father, Father Eli is on vacation, so there's no daily masses this week or next week, but that's that's really it. So it's a nice, uh, it's a nice time to just get stuff done. It's quiet. Um, but because once once August hits, everything ramps up it again. So starts to ramp up quickly, right? Um, so great. Well, um, before we kind of get into the conversation, could you open us in a quick prayer? I can. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, I give you thanks for this day you have bestowed upon us. 
And it's time for us to come together and chat on this podcast about our Christian Catholic faith and how we intertwine that with the working world and our families and our friends. And Lord, we also give you thanks for the wonderful staff we have between these parishes. And may you bestow your blessings upon them and all those who are listening to this throughout their days. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Deacon Jim. Um, so I, I guess to kind of maybe start things off, um, how would you say that, like, because I mean, we said like working in the like public sector and the private sector are very different, especially in a ministry role and a non-ministry ministry role. What do you what would you say is like? Other than the obvious, maybe the goal is different, but what what was what's maybe a big difference that you have seen, especially now that you the last couple of years you've been more like in the churches and in the day to day stuff. Well, yeah, in the past I was. So let me give a little synopsis of that. So when I started my company, um, I was an IT guy, so I went through a lot of leadership training, a lot of management training. Got involved in some national programs uh, with some uh, Fortune 500 companies, uh, leadership development type stuff, and really learned to become a CEO and a visionary type person through that model. But also at that time uh, was also in the tail end of my career, very involved in the church from Knights of Columbus and uh, ushering and finance council and that type of stuff. So I I had the mixture still between the working world and private and the, the churches. And then as the diaconate started to blossom uh, in our life in regards to a thought process of something we may want to explore, I really started to think about how do I interact with my coworkers in the office. I always call them coworkers, not my employees. The coworkers, because they work with them in a Christ-like manner. Um, and that was very important to identify and how to bring that through in my leadership skills because we were not a uh, Christian-based company. You know, we had people of all faiths. I don't even know all of them to be exact, so you never ask. But in that realm and the growth of development over the time uh, became very evident some of the things we can talk about and how you interact with those individuals and how you bring Christ into the office through family values and uh, uh, valuing time off and valuing uh, things that they're going to do within their life to have them be whole and healthy as well so they can be a productive employee within the organization. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And something like j- just kind of like from what you said and people like in my own life, um, I think witnessing just like, uh, like whoever your employer is or your boss or whatever, like witnessing their generosity has been like a huge, uh, just like witness for me. Just mm-hmm. to be like, wow, like you're like, you're the one that takes the hit at, hit at the end of the day and just how generous you're willing to be like with me, whether it's, you know, time off or even just like salary right. or anything when it comes to that. Cause it knows like, Oh, that's coming for like from you, especially in like a, like, it's not like a, you know, a fortune 500 company that's, you know, taking in a ton of money. You know? Right. Right. So as an example, um, one of the things that I, as an employer always try to do was to model uh, family values. I wanted my employees to go to their kids' programs at school. I wanted them to take their vacation days. Uh, in the event that we had a uh, uh, incident where we needed to have some overtime, yes, I would ask and ask for that and expect us to do what needed to be done. But I also uh, really encouraged them. And at one time, I actually had an individual who was not going to go to a child's Christmas program because he was under a deadline. And I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, "You will be leaving now." You need your daughter needs to see you at that program, and this can wait. It's not you know that urgent. We'll figure it out. 
Um, and I was very proud of that moment to get him out of the office to go to that because that's an everlasting image that child has if that parent mm -hmm. is in the audience or not during that program. So I always try to, to model that. But as we uh, became uh, uh, one of the larger providers of a software product in the Catholic dioceses across the country, I did have to explain to my staff that we are working with Catholic churches all around the country, um, diocesan offices and churches, and there is a model of expectation that uh, attitude they needed to have, also understanding the Catholic faith to certain things. Uh, we did management of special collections, we did benefit eligibility and so forth, but some staff didn't have any idea what that meant. Um, they weren't practicing any type of faith. So we had to do some teaching on that without setting a requirement that mm -hmm. you're going to attend a Catholic Mass, you know what I mean? Um, it was a very interesting process as we uh, developed that and individuals blossomed in understanding uh, a little bit of the Catholic faith and also being able to work with bookkeepers who have been in a church for 25 years and did not want change and don't like technology, but now they're going to use this new program. Yeah, so yeah. it was an interesting process and that's one of the ways I looked at how we brought Christ into the office as well as just by uh, modeling and witnessing that, that this is who I am, you know. At that time, I was uh, in the diaconate formation program, but this is who I am. This is my faith. Uh, this is an industry we're going to explore and, and move into, and uh, your expectation of understanding it is this type of level. Okay. Wow. That's uh, that's really cool. You know, to be, yeah, it's kind of like a like a sneaky way to be help people like learn a little bit about the faith so yeah yeah not to be sneaky but <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, this is yeah, our, this yeah. is where we're going you know yeah. this and we became uh second largest provider for uh benefit eligibility and aca reporting and and uh, the only national collections organization at that time throughout the country oh cool cool um so here's kind of a question it's like i mean kind of building off that but how are some ways that you think uh like you're able to bring your faith into your work. Um, and, you know, I'm sure, that the, I, I guess, I, I'm not sure, but th I could see there being some, like, HR things where you can't really, like, talk too much about certain stuff. Yep. But um, what are ways that you did, you know, bring your faith into the workplace? Because yep. uh, I think a lot of people are worried about, like, well, I don't want to be pushy. Yes. But I also want to be, like, real and authentic. And, like, this is me. Right. Right? That's so, right. like, there, where where is... Where did you kind of find that balance, and how did you live that out? Uh, so I lived out most in the hiring and the firing practices, in, in addition to the day-to-day -day operation, um, treating everybody as Christ-like as possible. Um, in an organization, any organization, even in, in churches, we have a need to hire and a need to uh, terminate. And um, the termination should never be something that's a complete surprise because somebody is not meeting expectations, so you have to be working with them through that process. So as I would uh, visit with individuals on the interview process, I let them know um, up front my faith and what it was because they're going to be working in an organization that supports Catholic churches. Um, didn't tell them that, you know, we're going to do prayer time or anything such as that, but let them openly know, you know who I am, what my faith base, what my background is, and so forth. And then also when I was in uh, formation process and then actually ordained as well, um, for them to understand what that meant. I may not be here because I may be serving somebody else during that time or out for a funeral and so forth. And um, bringing that awareness and knowledge into the office was a little bit different uh, for individuals. They're like, what's a Catholic deacon and where are you going to go and why? Or, you know, that type of stuff. Um, but especially in the, the uh, HR aspect when an employee says to you, hey, do you have a minute? 
it's usually not a good sign. Uh, they're going through something stressful in their life. They want to sit down and talk, or they may have a, a, a notification they're going to resign and move to a different employment. And I was always one that uh, welcomed their growth, uh, to, to encourage them to, if this isn't the right organization for you and you have a better opportunity for your family and, and your welfare and so forth, then that's okay. You know, go ahead and do that, and we'll support you in that endeavor. Um, or if it was the opposite where, you know, expectations weren't being met, um, we would have conversations, and I was usually uh, more lenient than I probably should have been over time. And you always find that, you know, you go six months too long than you should have in and, and making that final decision with that individual. But trying to do that within my day-to-day operations as well is one of the ways I brought my faith into the actual office. Yeah, I, I could see that too, especially with maybe letting people go. Cause, Hard, hardest thing because Because that could be like a really... Um, you know, I, I guess people like holding grudges, mm-hmm. you know, like and really like taking that personally, which I mean, maybe sometimes it is a, like a personal thing like, hey, you, you need to work on some stuff. Um, but, but other times like, hey, this isn't just a good fit. Right. And like, you need some like you need something that's going to be better for you. Well, it, when and, it, so I always said when an employee walks in the door uh, and you hear you know, the, the sigh as the door closes, you know, something's not right. Yeah. And they're not happy, whatever it is. So in management. I always tried and learned that you need to be very upfront and have clear expectations. And if the expectations aren't being met, you need to find met. You need to find out why. Um, if they're not being met because of lack of skill, you offer the training. If they're not being met because of of lack of desire, you uncover why and find out whether or not there's a different role within the organization or whether or not they might be suitable somewhere else. And you encourage them if you know if you're not happy here, there are other opportunities. But you always want to try to retain and grow individuals in regards to their career. But Unfortunately, that's not always true. And when the individual mentally checks out, um, you know it. And then mm-hmm. you have to sit down and say, okay, you know, here's what we're going to do. And by this timeline, if we're not where we should be based on what we agreed we were going to do when we hired you, then a change needs to be made. So I always call it they opt out themselves. They don't have to be terminated or released because they decide not to meet the expectations that they had agreed to. Yeah. And so something you said there of just like being unhappy and hearing like the, the sigh. The, the sigh. I, I feel like that uh, that's that's a big thing in today's world. Um, I was looking at some stats, and there was a Gallup poll in 2017 that did like a million people, and only 15% said that they like felt engaged in their job. That's 80 like so 85% of people are unhappy, and I think like you hear about this all the time. Just like in like I just feel like people say like oh like corporate life is like it's like soul sucking. Or, you know, people just, people hate work, which we, you know, we understand a little bit, like, like I totally get where that comes from, but then from the cr- Christian perspective, you know, we're made to work, to work exactly. you know, like that's, that's part of who we are and who God made us to be. Uh, you know, even like in the scriptures, it says, if you're not willing to work, you're not what you like you're being busy bodies and yeah. not earning your keep. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So, so that's something that we we're made to do. And I mean, that looks different for a lot of people, you know, like, like even if you're like a, you know, stay at home mom, that's a, that's Huge. a, that's yeah. a 80 hour a week yeah. job. You know? yeah. Doesn't end. <laughs> and so, um, and so like, I mean, everyone has a work out there, but a lot of people also hate what they do. Right. So. Um, where do you think the disconnect is there and, and from maybe your own like professional life of working with people and seeing people who are in that like 
in that place? Like, where do you think we've gone wrong? Well, I think it's been over time. I think uh, the expectation has been set that um, you just work but don't have to love what you do. Um, that goes for generations. Uh, you put food on the table, you go to work, and you, you know, get the job done type thing. Over the last five to ten years, you know, I've, I've uh, found this um, author and also a, uh, a podcast guy, Ken Coleman, who's all about finding the career you love, Christian-based guy as well. Um, individuals today are hesitant to really seek out what they love to do because they may not know what they love to do. They may not have had enough exposure, you know, enough opportunities. You know, a lot of organizations, whether they're small or large, an individual doesn't always get that opportunity to explore different types of functions in that organization. At my first career at Maurice's here in Duluth corporate office, I had great exposure to all aspects of the business because I was one of the IT guys in the programmer. So I worked with all the different departments, learned all about my business background, and really fell in love with computers and software and so forth and really... Um, enjoyed what I did. When I became a manager CEO, I didn't like it for a long time until um, I learned, uh, one of my mentors told me, your job is to be a firefighter. When you walk into the office, you're to fix everyone else's problems that they can't fix and you're to help them grow and develop. When I would walk into the office and have people come to me with all their fires and their problems, I was very frustrated because I didn't know that's what I was supposed to do. And as I learned that over time, then you put that hat on and you actually start to love it and say, okay, what problems, how can I help you today? You know, what can I do for you? But individuals today aren't necessarily seeking out different opportunities to find what they love. They're just putting the time in to get by, to get the compensation, to get to the weekend. And that's really sad because I think uh, you should love what you do. You know, I have lots of mentors and business uh, people I've known through the years. One individual, 74, 77-year-old lawyer in town. Loves what he does. Starts at 4.35 a.m. every day, works till 5, 6 o'clock every night. Absolutely loves what he does at that age. Um, that's the passion people need to develop. That's the passion Christ wants us to have in enjoying our days as well as our nights and our weekends in doing what we do. And there's jobs that we can do to uh, serve God uh, in the church, in the private sector, in the public sector, um, feeling good and enjoying it. We just need to understand how to go and seek it out yeah yeah that's I, I i feel like that mindset of like find what you love is like people hear that and they're like oh yeah how do i do it like that 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 sounds great you know but people are so like the the comfort of their salary is you know like maybe that's what's holding them back or or there's you know there's some people where it's like i like i don't i don't have I can't risk, like, I can't risk, like, not having this job or this salary because I have to provide for my family right, or whatever right. it was. And I totally get where that mindset came from, especially coming from, like, you know, the Great Depression where mm -hmm. there was, like, a lot, you know, nobody had anything. Mm -hmm. And then coming out of that, and then all of a sudden people had, and so they just kind of kept, like, held on to it. And you, it, you can kind of see it through, like, the generations because now, like, uh, you know, there's there's my generation, the millennials. We have this terrible reputation of just being lazy well, and not wanting it's, to. It's unfounded because there's a lot of great millennials out there. Yeah. Well, well, and it's I mean, as as a millennial, I I totally understand where that comes from too. Um, but I also just looking at you know friends and people around my age group. I think, you know, it might be a 
uh, you know, the, the, the like pendulum always swings and, you know, maybe we've gone too far, but it's, it's definitely come back from, I think a lot of us have seen our parents and even grandparents and like friends, parents and stuff, but like marriages fall apart because of this thing I have to be working all the time and I need to like just make a ton of money and, and you know, doing thing, doing this job for 40 years that you hate because they, they had to. And that was kind of, I think a lot of millennials saw that and were like, I don't want that. Right. That looks terrible. <laughs> one know? thing to, to piggyback off of that with is one of the largest challenges within marriages is money. Uh, money is not managed well. Uh, one of the worst things we have in our society is debt. Now, when the credit cards came on the scene, if you just watch ads and everything, they're pushing debt, 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 debt. They don't ask anymore how much you want to spend for like a car. The question is how much do you want to pay per month? They don't care if it's for 48 months or 120 months. And the car, you know, the debt outlives that car tremendously. Our society has gone into debt, uh, not all of it, but a lot of uh, to the degree where they have to work to meet the obligations for what they've spent mm-hmm. on things they still don't own. And that's driven that, I got to stay here and do this job. Individuals who are resistant to change are not as happy in workplaces because they don't like change. So meaning they're not going to go explore another job because they have one, so they don't want to change to another one. So they're going to live in that that model for a period of time. Um, finding that balance in regards to uh, financial stability and um, financial money management can also lead to a greater happiness in what you do because if you don't have to uh, work every day to make ends meet at the end of the day uh, and you have some reserves when the storm comes it eases the tension for that individual and there's a big swing out there I'm a big Dave Ramsey follower uh, financial peace university and living debt free that type of stuff mm-hmm. and it, if you know his I think the, the phrase is you know the new status symbol is the paid off house versus the BMW type thing yeah. um, who yeah. cares what they what they're driving next door it's how do you feel about what you have and the money that you've got accumulated in regards to being able to do what you want to do and live your life in a Christ-like manner so I think the the mentality out there in the millennial generation also I've seen it is you know I'm not going to go into debt I'm not going to outspend what I'm earning uh, especially coming through COVID there's a big eye-opener in that in regards to I don't have money to live on because I don't have a paycheck. And that, I think, will put some people into a different mindset of, okay, I need to start to manage my money as God wants me to manage my money, which is to, A, you, you give, you save, and you do spend some. But you do it all within your means. Yeah. Yeah, and, and hopefully through, you know, all this stuff, eventually we, we, we get to, like, the, the balance mm-hmm. where um, where people will be able to, try to find what they love right and 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 do that and um you know this is something that i i've I thought a little, a little bit and maybe you have a a better kind of gauge on everything for you know being in duluth for a long time but how do you you know the the small towns are small towns are kind of coming to an end a lot of it is you know a lot of people are just moving to the larger cities even like the medium-sized cities are getting bigger I, i'm not totally sure about like Duluth for but 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 like Brainerd for instance like where yes. I grew up it has been growing a lot especially in the last like year like with COVID and everything a bunch of people are moving to Brainerd yeah. but um but even since I graduated high school I wouldn't be surprised if it's grown by like 10,000 wow yeah at least the yep the the area Brainerd Baxter area but so I feel like a lot of people are leaving the smaller towns 
and you know, I see a lot of like those those jobs going away. And even in, like in Duluth, there's not. I mean, there's there's jobs, but um, it kind of more jobs than you think. There's the, there, there's more jobs than you think. But I'm thinking more of just like maybe the more like company jobs. It's a lot more Corporate. of like maybe like small like mom and mom yeah. and pop shops and stuff. But. So as an example, um, I was on chamber of commerce my entire career with owning a business. I was served on the board for a number of years with chair of the board. And um, at the time that I was on the board, we had. The balance was um, 65% small to mid-sized businesses, and then the other 40% uh, being you know mid to larger business with small percentage being corporate. Can you say corporate? What do people mm-hmm. think of the hospitals, Minnesota Power, Maurice's, which had a little more downside and so forth. Yeah. But the businesses that are out there, and Duluth gets a really bad rap for this because they always say, oh, all the college kids come and they go. Well, most a lot of the college kids that come, they had no intention of staying. They're coming for a college uh, experience, a college degree, with an intention of going back to their hometown where they grew up and, and take a job there and so forth. So Duluth always talks about that, and I don't think it's necessary, right? Well, then also we have the percentage that come, and I always talk to young people, why Duluth? I love the environment. I love the opportunities. I love the outdoors. I love the nature. I love that type of stuff. I love the feel, small but small but little larger and so forth. And then we also have that uh, unknown businesses that are out there. Duluth's profile of businesses is not very well known at all. Um, we have technology businesses in town that organizations that, like mine, were here but never served a client in Duluth but served them elsewhere all around the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have manufacturers that do that same type of thing. So in the colleges, when they're thinking about jobs, they're not made aware of all these. So our job fairs are not well attended to a certain extent. Yeah. But it's like, you know, if you drive around and see a business, I wonder what they do. Bentec, as an example, down on Garfield Avenue, people have no idea what Bentec does unless you work there. And they supply a lot of manufacturing for large organizations outside of the Duluth area. Um, there's just that type of uh, opportunity that people don't understand. And I think we as a we as a community need to do a better job of that. Yeah, I mean, I remember when I was in college, you know, here in Duluth, uh, business major, looking for jobs and couldn't find. I was looking for an internship and I couldn't find it anything like nothing you know there was there was like one place that i was like that seemed like an actual internship it turned out to be like a mid-level marketing job i was just like that's not exactly right and the colleges do a a, say it openly say it a poor job of trying to get those internships out there there's a few organizations that they work with we had a very successful internship program but um, we had a specialty you know uh, what we were looking for in regards to they would call and say I got three people we'd interview them so okay we'll take this one so they go fast mm-hmm. um, but we we can do a better job of that yeah uh, so th- this is kind of going back to a we, we talked a little bit earlier about the like workaholic yeah mentality yeah. maybe so um, I want to talk, talk about that t- talk a little bit about that and then maybe can we can close up but sure. but but how, how did you maybe deal with the workaholic mentality like is that something that you struggled with over the course of your career because i could see as somebody who's running a company it's like okay well like i have to i have to do everything or maybe like everything at the end of the day like comes to me so i need to like p- put in the time and work and i've i I feel like it's almost like romanticized a little bit of just like, you know, of, of the kind of like getting up and working, starting at 4 a.m. and working until 7. Uh, like there's always been a part of me that like 
saw that as romantic, and then over the, the court, like as I've kind of grown, I'm just like, that sounds terrible. Yeah. Um, so like, I don't know. Did, did you struggle with that? If if so, how do you deal with it, and how do you deal with it with people around you? Yes, struggled it big time. Um, even before I started the business, I did uh, software development on the side uh, for a brother's company that he had a, a video production company in the Twin Cities, and then also some other organizations. Knew I was a programmer, so I did some stuff. So I was working through the day and doing that at night. That was really fun. I liked it. Right. Also got a little bit of extra money for it and helped with the the family. My wife Julie is a stay at home mom. Um, at the time we started the business, I had two. We had two kids at home, so you had to work because if I didn't work, other people didn't get paid. If other people didn't get paid, there was nothing left for me to get paid. If I didn't get paid, we didn't have a house, didn't have food. Mm-hmm. So it all of a sudden it got into this vicious circle on, well, I have to do this so that everybody else can eat, so then we can eat, and then life is good. And I was off balance for a lot of years. And Julie would tell me, you know, you're off balance and so forth, but it was this cycle of I got to do this. And then it was sometimes it was really fun, and then we're doing it, and then, you know, you get to this uh, – uh, model of uh, growth you know people are getting stressed out so you got another person so I got another mouth to feed you got to make sure you have enough you know in the pipeline to do that so have enough in the end so you know, we could also eat and pay the house payment and then as we really got into uh, mid of the middle of the business and so forth um, understanding the balance through some different programs as in leadership stuff I started to realize I was way off balance and I needed to bring the balance back because the reason I went into business was to have time for myself and my family. And that's the last thing I got for 12 and a half, 13 years, right? So learning how to manage the business um, uh, was a big part, learning how to manage when you grow, when you don't grow, uh, learning how to manage uh, the stress level and taking time for yourself that it's not going to collapse if you're gone for 24 hours because you always have that fear, right? If I'm gone, something's going to happen. It's not going to survive, and it's all going to fall apart. And then, then what do we do? I had that fear for a long, long time. So the balance and the, the workaholicness, um, I still struggle that, to be honest. Um, I like to do things, and I like to serve. And there's lots of opportunities to do that, but you have to also say no. But one one of my mentors told me it was a, a priest, Father Timothy, Timothy from uh, Potchum Terrace, said, you don't have to say no. If somebody asks you for something, you can say, I can't do that right now, but I can do it X. And it might be three months out, might be six months out. And if they want you to do something, you know, in long going thing, that's okay. But always listening to my spouse, my wife is the number one balance for me because she'll say, kind of busy right now, you know, or something like that. And then that's my checkpoint to say, okay, I have to look at what I'm doing and where I'm at. Yeah, I've, I've heard of the term like work widows. Oh, yes, yes. And that's... um. Yeah, it, it, it's just, it's it's a really, like, sad reality, too. And you think about, like, that's something that I always, like, am super thankful for, uh, like, my my parents. Because, I mean, my dad, he he works super hard. You know, he's, he's, he still works really hard. He's, you know, he's getting close to retirement. He's really excited for it. He's kind of one of those people that has been working at a job that he doesn't really love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, there's certain aspects of it that he really loves certain aspects that he doesn't but uh but he was at every single one of my sporting events mm-hmm. made it there right you know it's priority he, yeah. he he made it there and and like me and my sister were priority and um it was nice that he you know every once in a while he had to work like evenings or like going on a, on a saturday um but not 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 very often but he made it a priority to be around the family 
and to 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 be there and so that's always something that 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 i've found just very heroic yeah and uh and uh and it was, it was something too that was like hey like i i want to do what i like but at the end of the day like i'd rather do something that um that i didn't like if it allowed me to like be around yeah you know the family the, and the family values. yeah rather than be like drawn away from that and not, like that's a balance and there's you know it, it kind of depends on a lot of factors you know it's not as easy as that yeah um i got a short story for you on yeah. being around the family uh one of my leadership development things uh the, the group had 30 minutes with a counselor 45 minutes with a counselor um and i thought well, what's this about and I said, what do we need counseling on i sat down with the counselor and he said just tell me about your life tell me about your day your weekends and what you do so i'd tell him you know do my stuff at work i'd on the weekend, I'd pack up a box of stuff and take it home and spread it out on the table and take my laptop and I'd be working on the table or else on my lap as the kids are around and Julie and stuff. And he said, and I bet you think that's great. I'm like, yeah, I'm at home with my family. He said, but you're not at home. So go home and ask them, am I present actually when I'm doing this stuff or do you feel I'm not present and I'm more distracted and it would be better if I was not in the at the house at that time? So I did that. The answer is, oh, yeah you're not here with you might think you're here with us but you're not with us you know in physical presence but not mental presence so at that point we said okay so two nights a week you know go and stay at the office late do this type of stuff but when you come home go home so my advice to anybody that's listening if you're like i was working on the laptop sitting around trying to talk with the family and stuff you're not doing yourselves any favor you're you're not mentally present with them um, and that was an eye opener and it was a, a positive change for us to get into that different model because I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, it is. It really is. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, the, 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 there are, um, it, it's tough cause like the, the, there is a balance and you don't want to swing the other way too hard. Right. Cause I feel like our, uh, our culture really like we hold work ethic up on like a really high pedestal. And so I think people would, would would like hear that and be like, hey, yeah, you know, Deacon John's got a great work work ethic, which you do. But then there's to that extent where like if it is like a virtue, then you can have like it can swing too far in the like too much, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now so. in today's society with COVID and the change of the organizations, at home workers, you know, having the uh, the the desire to do a good job, the ethic of it, and liking what you do, they're finding productivity be very high. Yeah, which is a very good thing because the, the pendulum may be swinging a little bit where people are getting more satisfaction, they're getting more done during a work day. Some people can't work at home, but other ones can very well. But getting that balance, a little bit more balance back and not having to work, you know, 75 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe to to close us out, um, what would you say to somebody who who wants to like who has like thought about multiple times, like trying to bring up their faith at work mm-hmm. and you know, and, you know, maybe it's, you know, it's, you know, there's some work cultures that are very, not even just like toxic, but just, you know, a lot of, I like a lot of swearing and kind of just like intense, you know, yeah. the, like hard, hard labor jobs or, um, or, or else maybe in like an office environment where you're like, I don't, how, how am I supposed to like bring this up or, or even, even just like be more of myself, like people who feel like they have to like suppress like, they're like who they are 
because they don't want to talk about it because they don't want to be weird. Yeah. Like that. So like, what, what, what advice would you give? Uh, one advice would be a real simple thing is just talk about their experience, their religious experience they had during that week. Um, you know, if, uh, you're sitting around at the coffee pot or lunch, say, you know, I went to church this weekend and really had a nice conversation with people after mass, and it was really good to see people, and I felt really good when I, was, when I left. Something as simple as that puts a, mm-hmm. uh, a seed in somebody's ear to say, oh, we found some happiness this weekend in something that they didn't have happiness. Or if you're at a church event, whether it be a picnic or a Bible study or something, um, talk about that. You're not necessarily um, uh, witnessing to a specific teaching, but you're witnessing through your lifestyle and just talking about what you did in your life. So an employer wouldn't, wouldn't be able to say, well, you can't talk about that because you're not talking about religion. If you said in sitting at lunch, I really like to talk about this gospel. They might say, you can't do that. It's not appropriate at the lunch table to do that. But if you talk about, I had a really nice experience at church. I met some new people or stuff like that. That's about your life. And that's witnessing. Um, Mm -hmm. We're all called to evangelize. And I always say it's hard to do that. But how we live our life is an evangelization. What people see we do, uh, how we uh, have joy and happiness when we do, um, it's a model for them to say, maybe I want that. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Deacon You're John, for, for having me on, for coming on, and sharing your wisdom, and you know, be, be, being with us. Uh, we're we're blessed to have you. Thank you. I'm blessed to be here. So so great. Well, yeah. Thank you again. Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, we hope you uh, really enjoyed this episode of the Catholic Do Show, and we will talk again next week. <laughs>